This is Epicenter, episode 271, with guests Martin Köppelmann and Matan Field. This episode of Epicenter is brought to you by TopTel. Experience a new way of hiring as TopTel delivers only the top 3% of applicants, including highly skilled blockchain engineers. If you're looking to scale your team with the very best talent, visit topdial.com slash epicenter. Hi, my name is Brian Fabian Crane. And I'm Sunny Agarwal. So we're here today with Martin Kerpelman, who's the CEO and founder of Gnosis, and Martin Field, the CEO and founder of Stack. Both of them have been on the podcast before, and today we're going to speak about this super exciting experiment that they're doing together which is combining a decentralized exchange and a DAO uh, and yeah it was a great conversation we hope we enjoy it as well so let's go to the interview so we're here with Martin Koppelman and Martin Field so both of them are you know back on the podcast have been here before Martin actually twice so you third time here and Martin was here three years ago uh, so quite a long time ago to speak about Gnosis. So we're going to speak about a very interesting project, which is the Dutch Exchange and the DX DAO. So yeah, thanks so much for joining us today, guys. Well, thanks for having us. Thanks. So maybe we can start with you, Martin. So we, we spoke about Gnosis before, and, and you know, of course, some people will also, some listeners will also be aware of Gnosis because you guys were, uh, you know, were sponsoring the podcast last year. But tell us a little bit, you know, what is Gnosis and what's the evolution that Gnosis has gone through? Yeah, so uh, the core of, of, of Gnosis is um, is prediction market and prediction market uh, platform. Um, and we see prediction markets um, really uh, as a new um, asset class, basically. Uh, we recently like coined the term uh, conditional tokens. Because it's it's really a lot of you can do with prediction markets. You can give any event a likelihood or make make a, a market for the occurrence of any event. But you can do much more. You can do uh, you can um, see how any event is influencing any other event. Um, so so how is one event hap- happening influencing the likelihood of another event happening? But it's also useful for stuff like how does one event happen happening influence the price of 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 any asset. And that's super interesting also for decision making, this Futaki discussion, how does this decision influence um, stock of a company or token or something like that. Um, so we we um, say that those, those are yeah conditional tokens and um, and that's yeah we, we provide a framework um, for for those uh, to really create a new asset class. Uh, that's the create part uh, of Gnosis. And then we have a trade part of Gnosis. So we have all those new conditional tokens that needed to be uh, traded somewhere. And that became more and more the the, the focus uh, of Gnosis to provide efficient trading mechanisms for this new asset class, but in general for, for tokens. If you, if you build a trading mechanism, you, why wouldn't you, I mean, you would allow to, to, to trade anything that's, uh, or from a technical perspective, it doesn't make that much of a difference what you trade there. 
So uh, create trade. And the third thing we that's somewhat 100% related to our initial vision is, is the hold part, create, trade, hold. A um, little bit like historically, we started uh, to build a multisig wallet because there was no, and we wanted to do a token sale. So we wrote a multisig wallet that was able to hold tokens that became almost the industry standard. Uh, almost every ICO is, was, is using it. Um, and we realized, well, we, we should like continue that and su support that uh, and bring that, uh, that additional security of a multisig wallet uh, to consumers. Um, so have a smart contract wallet where you as a consumer use a multisig wallet um, uh, and you ha have multiple keys. R right now in the first setting, it's an also safe. You have, for example, one key on your phone, um, one key on your computer or wh wherever, um, and it it's a convenient way uh, to use it. So that's in short what Gnosis is currently doing, create, trade, and hold. Very cool. That actually makes a lot of sense. It helps me like that. I, I put all like your, no, your major projects that you guys have been working on in like context. Um, so what are some of like the, uh, updates since like the last time you were on? So the last time uh, you guys were on was three years ago, summer 2016. Uh, a lot of stuff has changed since then. Uh, in fact, the last time that you were on, we were actually talking a lot about the DAO. And so it's kind of interesting that now we're here talking, going to be talking today about the DX DAO. Um, but so, so one of the things like, you know, since then you guys have spun out of consensus, uh, you guys have done your own token sale, which like in my eyes was like, you know, I think it was in April last 2017. And in my eyes, I see like the Gnosis ICO as like the ICO that kind of like kicked off ICO craze. And so how was, uh, that whole experience for you guys? Yeah, well, it's quite a right. It's still right. Um, um, yeah, I think you mentioned or the, the token sale was obviously, uh, uh, well, ch changed a lot before the token sale. We were like a company of, or we were still part of consensus until um, today we are a company of 50, 50 people um, working on those three big, big, big topics. We, yeah, I, I guess we were, were lucky with the token sale, with the timing. Um, uh, Ether appreciating sell, selling a bit uh, at the right moment, so we kind of have are in a good good position, have a decent runway of many years. Um, um, I think it went very well, and we are in a good position. But still, still, uh, there's so much work. There's so much like infrastructure still missing. I, I, that's just the case. Um, uh, so yeah, um, I mean, the decision to b build stuff like, uh, exchanges, um, or exchange technology and, um, and yet another wallet, uh, was not something we, um, we did lightly, or I mean, we, we obviously looked at, at, uh, the hundred other DEXs that are currently being built and the hundred other wallets that are uh, being built. And we still like, uh, decided. Mm -hmm. It does not cover our needs, uh, and we can. We do think we bring additional significant uh, contributions to the stuff we do. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, and so, Matan, how about you? Uh, you know, you guys were on much more recently, uh, only about eight months ago. Um, how has uh, you know the evolution of Dow Stack uh, proceeded since uh, last May? Yeah. So likewise, I mean. 
we had a pretty successful or very successful token sale um, back in May, May 2018. And then of course that changed a lot. We grew the company. Now we're a company roughly of 25 uh, people. Um, so that's, well, of course, that's kind of like stabilizing the company and growing the project. And then we made a lot of efforts on, I mean, we we already had a working product before the token sale. Uh, we insisted to launch a token sale with a working product, but I think the last eight months we had an incredible um, advance in pushing the product from, I would say, a prototype into a real production-ready, like a real product, a real product that is on the blockchain but looks like a real product and works like a real product and has a significant value position, um, kind of like make it more, way more professional. So these eight months were a huge amount of effort to bring like the, the most advanced technology on top of the blockchain. Um, and yeah, it's pretty exciting. And now we're just launching that and DXDAO will be one of the first, uh, well, maybe with few other DAOs that we will launch with. Basically, we launched the basic platform. I mean, we already launched it, uh, I don't know, six months ago uh, on the mainnet uh, with an alpha version, which again was kind of like a prototype. But now in Q1, towards the end of Q1, we will be launching the whole system, you know, from, from the bottom end of the blockchain contracts all the way to the interface. And there are a few layers in between. So the whole system will be launched in public beta. And the DX that will be one of the first, uh, probably the first big DAO on top of the platform. Cool. And yeah, we're going to come back to that uh, in detail in a little bit. But before we dive into the DX DAO stuff, let's talk about the Dutch exchange. So Martin, why did you guys decide to build a decentralized exchange and what's different about the Dutch exchange? Yeah, first, because we needed a place to trade predictions. It's as simple as that. So, so uh, the prediction market obviously is, is a place where, um, where uh, it already includes uh, the word market. So I guess the next question could be, why wouldn't we use one of the uh, existing market mechanisms? Um, and that is, that is because we believe there is a need for a fully decentralized uh, market, market mechanism. And um, most of the decentralized exchanges uh, right now are, I would call them uh, non-custodial centralized exchanges. So that means, yeah, they are non-custodial. You, 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 you remain in control of, 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 of the funds, but critical parts of the, um, of, the, uh, of the exchange, like the matchmaking, uh, keeping the order book, uh, maybe even deciding which which tokens uh, can be traded uh, or not um, are in in central uh, in in centralized um, uh, control, and um, I, I definitely see a need kind of also for those non-custodial centralized exchanges, but I definitely also see a need for uh, like more um, protocol layer or like 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 infrastructure layer. Thing that's just slightly above Ethereum, just some decentralized protocol that allows you to efficiently exchange any token into any other token. Um, and my claim is uh, there are few that are, that there are like some that are fully decentralized. So Uniswap is, for example, one. And, and there is, well, you can also do a full on-chain order book. Uh, Augur is doing that 
uh, Oasis Dex is doing that. So those are basically the two or the, the three only uh, um, fully decentralized exchanges I'm aware of. Um, all of them have unfortunately significant game theoretic problems around front running, around uh, being able to provide enough liquidity because the costs are quite high to uh, provide enough liquidity on those mechanisms. So the bottom line is we are really into building something that is A, fully decentralized, market mechanism that's fully decentralized, um, is reasonable or is as efficient as possible, of course, and doesn't have any like game theoretic attack vectors, uh, like min yeah, minor front running is, is, is a big one. So could you uh, go ahead and like maybe walk through us a little bit about how the Dutch X system works and like, you know, the mechanisms of this exchange and how, you know, I feel most people might, if, when they think of exchanges, they're probably mo usually thinking of order books. That's probably what most people are familiar with. So how does this uh, compare to a traditional order book mechanism? Right, right. So uh, to kind of just to, to, to um, preface that, the Dutch exchange is, um, yeah, I would make the claim it's right now, uh, the only <laughs> fully decentralized uh, a mechanism that doesn't that, that cannot be attacked by with, with front running, especially from from uh, from miners. Um, so and we had to do like compromises for that. So how does it work? Um, yeah, it uses the Dutch auction model. So let's say Sunny, you want to sell what tokens do you want to sell? <laughs> uh, let's say some maker token. Maker tokens, right. So uh, so there is a pair maker, and that's actually one of the pairs that's quite active on the Dutch X, maker Ether, let's say. Um, and roughly the system starts every six hours in auction. Um, so there is a period before the auction where everyone who wants to sell maker tokens, um, like puts puts their maker tokens in this, in this pot. Um, and at some point the auction starts, and basically, the auction mechanism is now trying to sell all those maker tokens that are all in one pot uh, for as high price as possible. So what it will do is it will start a Dutch auction. So that means it starts at a high price. Um, and high, in, in our case, is defined as two times the previous price. So the previous price is roughly the market price. Um, so it starts at two times the previous price. And then the price, or it kind of it offers this to the, to the market, to, to anyone um, who can do a Ethereum transaction on the blockchain um, at, a, at a dropping rate. So, so the price continuously drops. Um, and now as, a, as someone who wants to buy a um, maker, you can, as soon as, uh, as soon as the price reaches the level where you are comfortable with, uh, you can make a bid or you, you, you can send Ether. And at that point, you know you have the guarantee that you will get that price. Or if the auction continues, and unless you clear it, uh, it will continue. Um, you then eventually get the final price, and the clearing price is the price where there's enough buy demand uh, at that price to clear the the, the full auction. And the, the pricing function goes like uh, after six hours, so it like it's, it's a one one divided by x function. Uh, after six hours, it reaches the previous price, and it goes. Uh, all the way to zero. So after 24 hours, it basically goes to zero. So then they will, we definitely expect that they will then 
be <laughs> shortly before zero, there will be a bio. I mean, I, obviously, ideally around six hours, uh, after six hours, when it reaches the market price, roughly the market price, uh, it should close the auction. And so how often does this uh, cycle uh, begin again and again? More, more or less every six hours. So so once once the uh, uh, as the auction is cleared, uh, there's just a 15 minute a 15 minute like delay period and uh, if then there is enough volume and uh, in the current design enough volume means at least one thousand uh, dollars the next auction would start uh, immediately so on a liquid on a somewhat liquid pair uh, that has enough demand for a thousand dollar trade every six hours at least uh, yeah it would more or less every six uh, hours um, have a cycle and so is the idea here that uh, or, or like, how do you think about liquidity in this context? Is this something that you think will just naturally come because uh, there will be arbitrage opportunities if there isn't enough liquidity? Or right, so I, I would say the Dutch auction is a good mechanism. Or there, there are two. Uh, there are two use cases. I would say. Um, Maybe more, but <laughs> so one for just very illiquid for 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 illiquid tokens where you hardly have a market at all. <laughs> so their their um, uh, order book is like or um, they're like finding a price every six hours is already like good enough. Uh, for liquid tokens, um, why would you use the Dutch exchange for liquid tokens? I would say you would only use it for large or you would only want to use it for a large uh, uh, volume, um, large enough volume so that on, on the uh, competing liquid market, um, you would already move the price uh, significantly there because there is a, yeah, a slippage. Um, so one experiment we are doing, uh, just the, the 10 days before the DXDAO, uh, will start to to demonstrate this claim. Uh, we will, uh, for ten days each day, put a hundred thousand uh, dollar die order in. So so we are each day uh, selling or kind of buying ether. So selling die uh, for ether. Um, so Gnosis will basically just buy some more ether with die, um, and uh, yeah, we are very curious. What 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 the final price uh, will be and how it how it how how the final price will will compare uh, to well to the market price at the time. So our our claim would be there is no dex currently that can handle a hundred thousand dollar market order. The Dutch X should be uh, one that can do that. And roughly the reason is because um, because it basically gives market makers uh, the perfect the perfect setting. Uh, to do to do arbitrage or to to kind of uh, to 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 well trade on all on everything where they can get liquidity because it's totally predictable. So so like this order is, is coming in. They can see this hundred thousand dollar. It's starting uh, at this high price, and they see over six hours they slowly see it coming. And and during this time they can do all all the market makers, all the arbitrage uh, people can like compete against each other to 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 give this. Um, to, to give that uh, order the best price. Compare that to, a, to if, if you would just put it, the market order on a normal exchange, uh, then 
you only get the price that is available at that moment. So, um, so, so here the market maker can act after they see or have the guarantee that this volume is incoming. That's really cool. Um, so a few weeks ago, we actually had uh, James Prestwich uh, on with, uh, and he works on a project called Suma One. And so they were actually using sort of uh, cross-chain Dutch auctions where they were selling Ether in exchange for Bitcoin. And so it was actually very interesting to see that uh, on all of their auctions that they've been running, they've been doing something similar where they've just been putting up their own Ether. And they, everyone, it's always been being sold almost at like a 10 to 20% discount every time from like, you know, the market price on like centralized exchanges. So like, you know, I, I, while reading through your documentation, I read about this like Magnolia token and stuff, like these things that will help incentivize liquidity. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what these mechanisms are? Yeah, so, um, so liquidity is of course the biggest, the biggest uh, challenge uh, to, to get the uh, liquidity um, uh, running. And um, so basically the Dutch eggs has a, in, a built in uh, mechanism that will only kick in on February 18th and like in parallel to the DX uh, launch. Um, and that will basically, it, it's a simple, simple strategy that uh, those who trade earn, earn a, it's a new token, the, 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 the and, 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 and it kind of, it's, there's no pre mine or whatever. So all the tokens that it, it, uh, are purely created from trading on the, on the Dutch X. Uh, and for one, uh, for one ESA worth of trade, um, uh, you kind of every, every time a new Magnolia token is minted, um, and and the Magnolia token, uh, yeah, is the token intrinsic to the Dutch X, uh, and it we have this fee, um, this this liquidity contribution, um, so yeah, you you can think or from from each auction a fraction is um. Uh, is is taken in in the in the order of magnitude of zero point five percent, so in something that's somewhat comparable to a fee, zero point five percent is taken out of this auction, and it's like put into the next auction as an incentive to start this auction. So so basically, this 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 liquidity contribution is put into the next auction and will be distributed among those who uh, participate in this auction. So. If you have a lot of Magnolia, you basically um, have to pay less uh, in, for, for this uh, uh, liquidity contribution, but you still benefit from others paying this uh, liquid, liquidity distribution because uh, contribution because it's always uh, distributed among all, all traders. Okay, so, so that means if I'm like a market maker, I do a lot of trading, I get a lot of Magnolia, right. and then... I guess it's like when a centralized exchange, right? If you trade a lot, maybe your fee goes from 0 0.3 to 0 0.1. And so here also the fee goes from the, this liquidity contribution would go down from 0 0.5 to, you know, I don't know, 0 0.1 or something too, uh, because I have a lot of Magnolia, but then I still get the distribution each time from those who have less. So it can actually mean that uh, even if I sort of uh, trade at the same price every every auction, it, it, that's actually profitable for me. And then you ensure liquidity that way. Correct, correct. So, so the, the fee is, yeah, um, your, your effective fee is basically the fee rate or the, the liquidity contribution you are paying, uh, or, or it, it's um, plus 
the average liquidity contribution everyone else is paying, and if everyone else pays a higher li uh, liquidity contribution, you are a net gainer of, of, of that fee. So you, get, uh, you pay a negative fee, <laughs> if you want to put it that way. What if I just wanted to try trading with myself and just like earning Magnolia tokens? So could I create a bunch of like fake tokens and just like do auctions where I'm the only buyer and seller? Here we come for one of the reasons why we need DAO. <laughs> so yeah, so only um, uh, anyone can add any token to the Dutch exchange protocol anytime, uh, but only whitelisted tokens will uh, generate Magnolias for specifically that reason. Otherwise you create your Sunny token and you have 100% supply of it and you make a lot of fake, fake trades, exactly. And that's why the, we need DAO to curate such a whitelist. But could you still have this sort of fake trading and generation of like me trading with myself? Yeah, sure. I mean, as soon as you use a real token, um, or well, one token that's whitelisted, you can, of course, uh, well, put it on the sell side, uh, but also put it on the buy side. The thing, uh, or, or also, I mean, yeah, you, you put it up for sale and then you participate yourself uh, during the auction. The thing is, uh, that doesn't hurt the Dutch X it would even benefit the Dutch X because you are nevertheless providing real liquidity because, um, or at least to some extent. So uh, in a, in a, on an order book, you can specifically fill your own order. And then you, I mean, then you, you can even fake it by, by pretending, or in some models you can fake it by pretending you broadcasted this order, but in reality you didn't, and you just like match it yourself and you can com completely, it's, it's complete, completely worthless to the exchange. However, here, uh, remember you are always, or all funds are pulled together um, into, uh, in, 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 into an auction. So unless like there's no activity and you're the only one uh, putting uh, funds up for sale, um, if you then participate as a buyer, you also have to um, well, give everyone else basically in, 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 in this auction um, that price. And if you want to make sure that you don't lose funds, um, the bottom line is every trading activity provides real liquidity for those who, who just want to trade. <laughs> right. But couldn't I still, I, I find some token that nobody cares about. I mean, it's whitelisted, right? I mean, some, some people are trading it. But now I'm doing like, a, I don't know, 500,000 per every cycle and I'm just trading with myself. Then at least that token will be very liquid on the Dutch exchange. So, so sure. I mean, basically, <laughs> if, if, if you put in one uh, 500,000, um, that means I or a random trader can like easily put in 10,000 and you <laughs> are very, very much incentivized to, to not like keep the price uh, dropping too much because you risk your 500,000. So, so you are like very much committed to give the, the 10,000 that, that kind of piggybacked on your 500,000 order a very good price because otherwise you risk that others can buy your 500,000 uh, below, below market price. Yeah, I, so I guess you could think of it like, you know, the assumption is that if a token was whitelisted, there exists like some other someone else out there willing to buy or sell it. And so therefore the Dutch X auction mechanism will work properly because of that. Yeah. Or, or at least I would say there is, um, there is utility provided by, um, uh, by having sufficient liquidity uh, um, on, 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 on the Dutch X. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so I remember a few uh, months ago when uh, we were in Berlin, you and I were talking about like threshold decryption and stuff. Uh, so is that something that's like uh, in the current version of the Dutch X protocol or is this like a future improvement? No. So, so that is diffusion, diffusion exchange. <laughs> that's its, its own, uh, its own topic in a way. So uh, the Dutch X should really be seen as a demonstration and it's, it's live now and everything to, to, to say it's possible to do something fully decentralized and game theoretically sound, but it, 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 it well, I mean, six hours, that's it, of course a big trade-off. So we are working on a much more sophisticated um, exchange, this batch auction exchange using SNARKs uh, for scalability, using threshold encryption for, uh, to, to uh, uh, combat like, uh, uh, front running and whatever, but that's more still in the, um, it's getting out of research stage and into development stage, but it's at least nine months ahead uh, or, or, or and, and until that will see the light of mainnet. Hiring is stressful. Let's face it. It's a long process of sifting through resumes and interviewing candidates without any guarantee of quality, but it doesn't have to be this way. Companies all over the place are experiencing a new way of hiring with TopTal. If you go to their Trustpilot page, you'll see that of the hundreds of people that have left reviews, over 98% were four or five star ratings, including one guy who wants to give his developer a bear hug. That says a lot. TopTal gets all this great feedback because they focus on their clients and their top priority is quality. They only accept the top 3% of applicants, including highly skilled blockchain engineers. One of these engineers is Radek Ostrowski. Radek has experience as a lead software engineer and data scientist for Sony and Expedia. Then he discovered blockchain and he became totally consumed with Ethereum. He worked as a consultant for the firm StartOnChain and his time-locked app won the top quarter consensus uPort and Identity blockchain hackathon. Then he expanded his reach through TopTal. He worked with a bunch of clients on projects such as smart contract development and a POC that leverages blockchain. If you want to hire engineers like Roddick for your team, go to toptal.com epicenter for a no-risk trial. A TopTal director of engineering will deliver your next hire in as fast as 48 hours, and you'll get $1,000 credit when you decide to hire. We'd like to thank TopTal for their support of Epicenter. Well, let's move to the topic of the DAO. So why does the Dutch exchange need a DAO? Yeah, on, a, on, a, um, on, on, on one level, um, so the Dutch exchange is really meant to be... Uh, infrastructure component uh, for Ethereum. Um, so, for example, many, many smart contract systems uh, need at some point um, the ability to just simply exchange one token for another or convert. They, they get some income in some token and they want to convert it uh, in another token. Um, and, um, and the Dutch X should be uh, a mechanism also for smart contracts to do that. So remember, for example, smart contracts, they can't sign an order, they can't have a strategy for, for, for to, to kind of to participate on an order book. So they need such a simple, uh, simple way and they still want to get a fair price and so on. So it should be an infrastructure component. And if it's a smart contract, the smart contract can't easily upgrade itself or change itself. So, so the Dutch X needs to provide a high level of reliability, extremely high level of re reliability. Ideally, you would have the guarantee that if you kind of use it, 
you have the the very very high guarantee that in the next 10 years ideally in the next 100 years you can just use uh, that thing and um now you are of course you you can do a trade off so so either you make it completely unchangeable uh with no upgrade functionality whatsoever you just deploy the contract they are immutable um which of course has the disadvantage that you can't improve it and you can't and and like everything you every parameter you said I mean, even things like this whitelist, everything has to be like uh, correct in the first first try, and then you can never do anything about it. The alternative is, of course, you have a centralized entity that can make an upgrade, but then you also lose this 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 the strong guarantees because you're now dependent on this central party that has well the keys to <laughs> to to it. Uh, so we think DAO is a very reasonable or is the most reasonable um, middle ground between but can still provide, given that the DAO is widely distributed and has like 10,000 uh, reputation holders, uh, it, it can provide those strong guarantees that you're not reliant on a single entity and a single point of failure, if you want so, but it's still is agile and, and and can make upgrades and improvements and um, uh, yeah and provide a better better system. And so you mentioned that the the Dutch exchange has been running for six months. So does the the DX DAO take over the Dutch exchange smart contracts, or can you, can you talk a little bit about how this transition is going to work? So when we deployed the Dutch X, we uh, we uh, well threw away the key, or that there is no way to upgrade it. So the Dutch X instance that is live right now on mainnet will be in the in this form uh, as long live on mainnet as long as mainnet exists, and maybe storage rent will eat it at some point. But whatever, um, uh, we we have to deploy a new one. Uh, we we have to deploy a new version of the Dutch exchange, uh, which has owner, uh, and, and and the DAO will obviously uh, be the owner, and the owner has yeah, like the abilities to whitelist tokens, to upgrade the contract, um, in, in in through through the update mechanism, basically do arbitrary changes. So why can't you you know use this same mechanism actually? Uh, forever, where instead of having to have a proper upgrade path, we just keep on leaving the old version of the Dutch X sitting on Ethereum and just like keep deploying new versions. And as people want to switch over to the new version, they can move their liquidity over to the new version. Right. I think I think that would be a sensible strategy if if that thing would be uh, its own like like DEP and and end users would directly. Uh, like trade on it, and then the end users could just decide to switch um, to the new version or, or, or like stay on the old version. Uh, however, if you really want to build many layers um, on top, and you see this this exchange more as again infrastructure uh, infrastructure component, uh, you want to build all the all the DeFi uh, decentralized finance applications. They, for example, those those uh, things or the, the all the margin trading that le- needs. Um, needs a, a price feed, and the Dutch X, by the way, should provide quite reliable uh, or hard to manipulate uh, price feeds. Um, they they need a price feed. They need a liquidation mechanism, and and you want to build smart contracts layers on top, and and maybe another smart contract layer on top, and then only an application. Uh, 
then it becomes really messy if, if all of those layers and layers have to have their own upgrade mechanisms or then... Um, so I, I, I do think um, there is um, there are fundamental infrastructure components where ideally you can build on top of them and, and have the guarantee that they that they will will run and be maintained uh, for, or, or yeah will run and have continuous liquidity uh, for for a long time and just just assume um, there would be this fork and everyone would move to the new one but there's one contract that's still running on the old one uh, and then suddenly this the old one runs out of liquidity and it's then really not anymore a very reliable price uh, price feed or you get shitty uh, <laughs> uh, prices um, yeah all those things on the other hand though isn't this also can be seen somewhat as a security security vulnerability as well where it's like you know when we're doing like programming like you know if you're this is why you do package locking where like you don't want your li your underlying libraries to just like swap out from under you break interfaces etc of course of course i mean absolutely so uh, the dx dao is a radical experiment uh, and um, it has to prove itself that it can um, can provide uh, this this level of reliability and it has proved uh, has to prove itself on many levels so it has to prove itself the DXDAO has to prove itself on a like technical level. It, the, the contracts needs to be need to be uh, need to be um, well secure. <laughs> Obviously, uh, it has to prove itself on a on a like yeah social or or as on a, on a game theoretic level that the kind of the the um, the actions of the DAO or the value system of the DAO. Uh, yeah, there there, there are many uh, <laughs> there are many um, ifs and. Uh, and things that first need to be proven. But eventually, I would say, uh, a DAO uh, might be able to, to uh, provide those strong guarantees that it, that it uh, like keeps, keeps things going, does updates, does like stays on top of the, uh, to, on top of the well, most recent technology, but doesn't, uh, yeah, but, but again, you are not dependent on a single actor. But on this collective, this is ten thousand people, or maybe more. Maybe, maybe to add add some thoughts on this. So, basically, well, fork rules is good. So first, two things: fork rules is one uh, only good for upgrades, but it's not good for you know many other kind of decisions that a DAO can make. So a DAO can make many decisions that a fork a rule cannot make. But I think more importantly, fork rule is good as a fork rule is a great governance actually mechanism. It's the best decentralized governance mechanism for decisions that are very, very infrequent. So if you need to make a decision once in a year, I would say that probably, yeah, fork rule is probably the best decentralized governance mechanism. But, as, but, but once you want to make many, many small decisions, um, and now we can kind of like enter like what kind of decision, including in the, in the upgrade situation, we can, what, what do we call upgrade? Token whitelisting. Is token whitelisting an upgrade? Do you want to fork every time, you know, the, the crowd needs to decide about whether to, you know, to, to list a token or not. So once you are starting to speak about tens and hundreds and eventually thousands and tens of thousands of decisions a year, then fork rule will just make absolutely no sense. And you would have to have a DAO uh, to make collect decisions uh, at scale. When I, and I'm saying at scale, I mean at scale in terms of throughput of decisions, but then scale 
of throughput of decisions correlate with scale, uh, natural scale of DAO itself. So if you have you know, thousands of people, they will have thousands of ideas uh, to execute on. And that's something that simply you have to have a DAO if you want to uh, harvest that potential. So like, yeah, I guess that kind of actually makes a lot of sense. So I've had this dis- like similar discussion a lot with uh, Will Warren from ZeroX about like, you know, does the ZeroX protocol really need a governance mechanism? Uh, and because, my, you know, I, I was kind of making a similar claim there saying that, okay, look, you can upgrade, you can just launch ZeroX V2 and then all of the relayers who are the, like, you know, uh, can just point to ZeroX V2. But I guess like sort of the big difference here is that work, my, my perception of that works for ZeroX because it's centralized relayers and they can like individually just choose to point to the new version of the ZeroX contract. But if you're really trying to focus more on like the whole, a larger decentralized finance uh, ecosystem, it's kind of, you know, who knows what the, up, like, you know, it might not be centralized relayers who are pointing at at uh, DXDAO, I'm uh, sorry, at DutchX. It could be like, you know, other decentralized apps that are pointing at it. So it kind of, you do need like a more coordinated system than you would in something like ZeroX, for example. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 would, I would even argue, try to argue that even in ZeroX, I mean, the, min, the minimal feature that you need, which is maybe an upgrade once a year. Yeah, I, I would say, you're, I, I agree with you, like that fork is just, just as good. But if, I also think that for ZeroX, you can think of many more things that you could do in decentralized fashion. And for these, you need DAOs as well. So Martin, you mentioned this, you know, this ultimate ambition, right? That something like DXL could make 10,000 decisions a year or, or maybe more. And I guess that, that ties into very much what we spoke of you last time, right? So holographic consensus and sort of, you know, the mechanisms of DAO. So c- can you explain a little bit, how is that going to work? And, and I'm specifically curious also about you know, reputation, right? There's this uh, thing called reputation, which is going to have a key role in the DX style. Sure. Yeah. So, so firstly, reputation, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a sensitive uh, a word and, and, you know, some people interpret it differently and even more so when, when you compare it with rep of Augur. So let's just clear the, the definition. When we say reputation, we simply mean voting power. Like your the weighting of the weight of your voting is your reputation. It's just a number, um, and but the way that this reputation is 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 you know is allocated to you can be anything you think of. It can also be related to some tokens, such as locking of tokens. And we'll probably speak about that. But reputation is, we just mean your voting power. Um, the second thing about reputation is to say, so. Often people talk, when, when they talk about reputation, what they mean, and again, that's very different from the rep token of Augur, what they mean is that reputation is not transferable. Now, it is partially true, but then we need to decide what we mean by transferable. But there is, I think there is what people usually not speak about is a more uh, important feature of reputation, which is reputation is slashable. It's re- deductible. So I can, in fact, while in the contract of the, like the reputation contract itself, it is non-transferable. So you cannot transfer your reputation uh, directly from an address to an address. You can do that indirectly. So I can hold my reputation in a smart contract and then have a token owning that smart contract. And then I can transfer the, the ownership token to another address and indirectly transfer the reputation to a different owner. Um, so, but still, 
my reputation score that is tied one to one and solidly to this address, in this case, the smart contract address, can be deductible by the owner of the reputation system, which in this case is the DAO. So if I'm making something which is socially unacceptable, um, the DAO can decide to slash my reputation. And that's, in fact, that's a critical uh, element. I would even uh, say boldly that I think that's the only way uh, to fight with, for example, uh, on-chain bribery uh, attacks. So this is, uh, this is roughly about the reputation. And maybe just, just really quickly about holographic consensus. I mean, the whole problem, well, well the whole, the, the, the big, I think the biggest problem of DAOs that was triggering this line of thoughts is that, um, well, basically you, you, you get into a, in, into a scalability problem right from the beginning, just, just, as, just, as, just as much as you get to scalability problem uh, with consensus protocol, with blockchain, uh, in the same way, in fact, pretty analogously, you get to, to a scalable, scalability problem with decentralized governance uh, and you cannot really, it seems naively, you, can, you cannot make uh, many decisions uh, that are also uh, resilient. So this, this, this started kind of like the line of thought of holographic consensus, which is basically allowing you to make decisions by relatively a, a small amount of reputation out of the DAO. So that does, they are scalable. But in a way that guarantees that that representative, that, that, sorry, that small group is actually representative in the sense that decision made in the, those groups actually reflect what the entire reputation system would, would think if they would just have the attention to uh, consider those decisions. So thus resiliency. So as far as I know, as far as I know, that's the only current mechanism that I'm aware of that resolved this the tension between scalability and resilience uh, in the domain of decentralized governance. And and that's maybe uh, also one element that brought our two projects together is that that is used through uh, that that is achieved more or less through prediction markets. So uh, so you have like prediction markets. Uh, for the proposals that ask the question, will the proposals will will that proposal be uh, uh, yeah accepted by by the by the vote, um, and that serves in a way as a as a filter or you or yeah as a way to to prioritize or like boost uh, uh, boost proposals. So if the market has a high confidence that this um, that this um, proposal will be accepted then it might be fine to lower the thresholds or the, the requirements uh, for, for, for the vote mechanism to accept this proposal. Yeah, and maybe just to comment on that, I mean, for a long time, this, this, you know, this big question was on the table and people have uh, realized that governance systems, you know, the regular notion of governance system, you know, voting with static reputation, they are relatively resilient, but they're very not scalable. At the same time, markets are usually more effective, but they are very not resilient. You can easily manipulate them. So the solution eventually was to actually combine the two. So the, the decisions are made by voters, by reputation holders only. Um, but then in order to scale their capacity, there is another system, a market, prediction market, uh, of people who only make predictions. They are not making decisions. So in that case, it's in this, in this uh, manner, it's, it's uh, uh, different from computer key. The predictors do not make a decision, but they just predict what the voters would say. Uh, and by, by, by doing that prediction, they basically uh, scale the capacity uh, of things that the voter uh, can decide about. So uh, I have a question here. Now, 
Martin, right? Like Gnosis is all about creating markets for like everything. And, and you guys made the point that, you know, reputation can be sort of transferred, right? Like it could be held by the smart contract and then maybe uh, that controls reputation. Then you could sell kind of shares in this smart contract. I mean, why not just make reputation like fully tokenized and transferable? It, it seems like almost making where there naturally a market could be you don't allow a market or yeah i mean i mean the point so firstly the, the again the, the important point is less whether it's transferable or non-transferable and as i said it, it, in some sense it's indirectly transferable so i'm admitting uh that's a conversation that martin I, I and i had like for the past three years um so it is transferable and but but it's it's deductible and that's really what matters it it's it less so it's true that um making it on chain transfer like directly transferable in a way kind of like just opens up more you know maybe potentially more opens up more problems and we we see we don't see the reason to do that, to do that but it's not the main point the main point is the deductible and and we i i would say that you probably can transfer and you can sell your reputation in a very very small scale like maybe to your your brother but you would not be able to scalably you know have it like an on-chain marketplace where you can you know buy as much reputation as you want or sell as much reputation as you want so so that's it's 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 similar to the situation where for example off-chain you know people talk about bribery in DAOs so off-chain bribery is not, is not I, I would not call it an attack vector. So off-chain bribery is something that is very, it's very hard to coordinate and scale up. But on-chain bribery is super attack, like it's, it's a huge attack vector. So you, you want to make sure that these things are not scalable and on-chainable. If I understand correctly, one, so the, the main reason you're trying to avoid the transferability is so you have stuff be slashable. And so if someone does something, you know, not according to social consensus, they can be slashed by the DAO. Why not, uh, you know, we, we, we have a similar problem as well in the proof of stake world. And we solve this using unbonding periods where why not have a system where, you know, it's if you want voting power, you have to bond the tokens and then you have to go through a long unbonding period. But once it goes to the unbonding period, then they're transferable again. Has, isn't that also a potential solution? This, this, is, this is an equivalent solution. Uh, and I'm just, what, what we're presenting is just, just more generic than that. So basically... One of the ways, so in fact, one the, the actually the relevant way, the relevant way for DXDAO, but more generally, one of the way to have reputation is indeed locking some tokens. So you lock so, some tokens, and then the reputation score is simply the number that reflects how much voting power you got from locking the tokens. Uh, and and then you can actually you can play with it with the formula much more generally. For example, it can be the amount of tokens that you locked, but it can also be the amount of tokens that you locked time the time that you lock it for, or many other formula. And more generally, you can also have reputation systems that are not coming from tokens. So yes, the answer is that uh, it is equivalent, but much more general than that. And, and well, maybe to jump there in, that is actually one of the, um, one of the main mechanisms how uh, the reputation of this DXDAO uh, will be distributed. So one, one thing that's super important to us is we uh, set up or we, we tried to set up um, the, the, um, yeah, the, the initial distribution of, of uh, this uh, reputation um, or the, the ownership of, if you want, or the stakeholdership of the DAO uh, 
to be really broad and to be kind of this yeah fair decentralized no 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 pre mine or no no kind of pre allocation to gnosis or to to DAO stack so there will be like uh, mainly two two things uh, or three things you can do so one is trade on the dutch exchange um, or and earn those magnolia tokens that that, that will distribute 50% 50% of of the uh, reputation Uh, roughly 30% will just, or not, not roughly, exactly 30% will be given to those who lock down tokens. Uh, and that will be all tokens. So we expect currently a number of like 50 ERC20 tokens that will be whitelisted on the Dutch exchange. So any uh, ERC20 token that's whitelisted and traded on the Dutch exchange, uh, holders of this token can just like lock down this token for up to a year. And depending on how much value they lock for how long, Uh, they will get a fraction of that 30%, uh, 8% um, to, to or 10% to Ether, the same for just locking down Ether, uh, and the last 10% uh, will be uh, auctioned off for Gen tokens, uh, that's the, the, the DAO stack tokens, so the DAO uh, will start having those Gen tokens, and they are used to... Um, kind of subsidize uh, the governance uh, mechanism. So in a way, the DAO will uh, pay out uh, those gen tokens for successful proposals. Or, or more specifically, uh, it will use those gen tokens to incentivize the prediction markets um, or to, to incentivize for, for people to make predictions that uh, or can find good proposals. Is there a cap to the amount of reputation? Like, so what is the initial supply of reputation? Because it seems that to me that like the 50% that's distributed by Magnolia, as well as the 30% that's distributed by locking ERC-20s, both require the whitelist. But it seems that the whitelist doesn't exist until the DXDAO exists. So it seems to be like a circular situation. Yeah, that, that, that's one of the few things we like, unfortunately have to, well, just predefine. Um, so yeah. We have to predefine the whitelist. Uh, we basically try to do, um, or the, the it's somewhat random, but the top or most of the top 50, um, maybe we can extend it to 100 uh, tokens. And if if anyone wants to be on the whitelist, they can contact us, and then we will make sure that that's also added. But I mean, we we have to like. It, it just it just worked for us because we have to evaluate each token and uh, is there is there is it actually a real token in the sense that um i mean each token is in in, in some way can be an attack vector if, if there's one malicious token then uh, then someone could grab way too much uh, yeah yeah if yeah. you're going to put your your sunny token and then control the sunny economy then you 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 will maliciously generate a lot of magnolia and basically wipe up the, the value of magnolia so, so that yeah, we want to make sure that there is no sunny tokens on the on the on the extended at the beginning, and then the DAO will be the guard for 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 later on. Yeah, do you need price oracles for each of these tokens as well? Then, well, that's exchange. <laughs> yeah, so, hey, so, so it's so actually this, it's really interesting because it's it's you're just now seeing uh, how two systems uh, use each other. So one system a system A uses B and system B uses A. But this is just the beginning. We already have in mind, you know, I don't know, three, four, five systems that we would like to attach to that. And we already see like the bi-directional 
uh, interdependence of them. And that's, that's really the power of on-chain dApps. I mean, that they can really emerge and, and you know, integrate with each other uh, and keep the centralization. And that's, I think that's something that we haven't seen before. That's, that's also the power of Ethereum. So what, what about the you know, economic value of the reputation token? Like what, it, does it have value and what will drive its value? So, yeah, let me make this uh, outrageous statement. Uh, I think there is a um, small, small chance, but I would probably go on record and say it's like roughly one, well, maybe not exactly 1%, 1% chance um, that the DXDAO will be the biggest organization on earth in 10 years. <laughs> so, so the biggest organization means like control the most resources or like <laughs> the most influential yeah control the most resources so can you can you can you expand that justify that what would that look like i mean that's an uh, outrageous statement which is of course great uh, but uh... right right i mean i mean i i think that, that that we need to like like separate into parts so uh, we really need the, here to like speak about the uh, the potential of DAOs. Um, and, and I think the way Matan and me and Matan, uh, chimp in any time, uh, see it, it, DAOs are really, um, probably the next, yeah, the next big, uh, big, like step forward in, in, in ways how uh, humans organize. So I, I like this quote that, uh, DAOs might be as important as the invention of, of the firm. Uh, in the 16th, 17th uh, century, um, uh, because they they are, yeah, to, to, in, in my expectation or to our expectation, the the, on, the only mechanism that allows uh, coordination, uh, uh, strong coordination between ten thousand up to millions, uh, uh, million, million millions of people, and. Um, so, so we we think DAOs are significant can be significantly more efficient in in in, in decision making in in processing uh, processing input from from yeah ten thousand one million uh, members and uh, in, 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 in coming um, to decisions. So this may be overused term of uh, collective intelligence and, and and stuff like that. Um, so that's I mean. Probably talk about more more about that, but that's that's roughly the, the general idea that there is a good chance, or small. I mean, still small chance, but there's a good there is a chance that the DAOs will really uh, be the next evolution and will will replace firms as as kind of the the most powerful things for for humans to organize. Now we can talk about why might the DX DAO have a chance to to be uh, the first DAO that kind of achieves. That scale, or it, it, it kind of makes those throughputs, uh, those 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 um, those um, yeah, large, large achieve, achievements, and we would say uh, the timing finally might be right. So I think with the DAO two and a half years ago, we already got got an idea of like how things can explode <laughs> and go wrong, of course. Uh, but 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 I mean, beside that kind of going wrong part. It already, for those who 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 were close to it, 
it was it was magical kind of what what happened once once this was once this DAO was created and suddenly all teams in the space uh, were like looking at this DAO and and trying to interact with this DAO and become part of this DAO make proposals for this DAO so it was this huge magnet for I mean this was really just a period of five weeks I I, I believe or I, I, I recalled correctly but again it, it gave already an idea of what 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 might be possible. And yeah, the DXDAO in a way um, does a more conservative, uh, some, some, somewhat more conservative uh, approach in the sense that it doesn't like start with a big uh, token sale, but it starts with this uh, yeah big reputation distribution uh, period. But it is, I mean, it might decide. Uh, well, it will be up to the DAO to decide to uh, to do a token sale uh, or, or other forms of. of Uh, ra raising uh, capital once once it's live, so it has the DXDAO has the full power to do anything that's that's possible um, on Ethereum right now, and that's much much more than than two and a half years ago. So this DAO can uh, well it can have dollars that that is a trivial one, but we have now Dai and all the stable coins. This DAO can um, host well host a website and, and 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 control content. So we have ENS and IPFS. So the DAO can Host, uh, control the domain and, uh, and 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 that alone kind of uh, means the the business model of of let's say Bloomberg and and TechCrunch and New York Times. Uh, I mean, basically, most of the value of those three companies is just captured by their website or by their or by by kind of their their uh, their kind of their ability to publish information that is kind of curated uh, by them. Uh, then, then there's much more. The DAO can can take all uh, a lot of a lot of the the the, the, the smart contract systems uh, that that are uh, developed are are uh, open source. Um, it it could deploy them. It could it could mine. I mean, projects could decide to on purpose hand over upgradeability um, to the DAO because they want to give up um, their centralized uh, uh, control. Um, they 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 often um, do have so yeah th th those are a few. Maybe I can just add on that. So I I guess why why the DXDAO can be can be so big. So I think I mean I'm slightly repeating and echoing what Martin says, but I just to be more specific, um, the claim the bold claim about DAOs or the expectation is that they can be sort of like super scalable organizations. So. The problem of centralized organizations is really that they, they do not scale well, um, as, meaning that they can they can scale, but when they scale, they become less and less effective. So less and less, if you wish, effective per person. And this decay factor is really you know it's really strong. And you know every time that you invent new technology, you kind of like allow to stretch somewhat that factor. And then you know we we went from firms to eventually corporations. But still, the the pay that you you are paying for scaling is very very big. Um, so very big organizations are very ineffective. Um, and we believe that DAO, the centralized organization, actually can um, keep effectivity when they grow. And maybe, we don't know, we will see, but maybe they can even increase effectivity, just like network effect. They can increase effectivity per person as they grow. Um, and if that is true, then DAOs to corporations would be the same thing that network effect, you know, in the early internet days, Uh, were to previous uh, uh, apps. So, for example, 
network effect based social media to previous old media. They just took over because they become more effective as they grow um, and they completely become predominant in there. So there is expectation that DAOs will basically, in a way, eat up the domain of, of production in some sense. Um, and then the second thing to, to identify is that because of this exponential network effect uh, thing, then there is, there is just an enormous advantage for, for early movers. So basically that, that is to say that the first DAO that will be successful in that sense that it can super scale itself uh, effectively will probably the, be the biggest eventually, at least biggest in its own domain. So then the last point is just to ask whether we are ready, whether, whether the technology is in place in, this, in the sense of uh, uh, making it able to scale up and whether its, it's technology is ready in terms of not having a, a huge breakdown. Of course, we don't know, and that's why, you know, that's why Martin is saying just 1%. There's so many things that can go wrong, uh, but we want to say that the technology has matured so much in the last few years that there is some chance, some non-negligible but small chance that things are ready to scale up without a major breakdown. And if that happens and the premise that DAOs super, are super scalable, we'll just see that the first DAO basically eating up its own domain. And then you can ask, but what is this domain? So I would say that the that, that DAO is really a, De a DeFi uh, DAO. It's a decentralized finance DAO. Dutchex is just, you know, its first product, first asset, but uh, there are so many tools that you want to decentralize that can be decentralized uh, financial financial tools, and if DX DAO uh, succeeds, I would I would expect it to be the basically the the largest financial organization on the planet. Um, you know, without so, and of course, everything is you know these are these are the the, the pink uh, the 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 hopeful scenario. But 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 of course, uh, and, and everything can go wrong. But I think definitely we are trying to argue that the technology has made such a such a big mileage in the past few years that that this is possible okay this is uh, super fascinating so thanks so much for explaining this now in in the traditional financial world right we have banks right and banks can get to a certain size or like you know different companies can get to a certain size and i guess the biggest companies you know maybe they have like a million employees right something like walmart now you made the point, right, that the effectivity to some te to some extent decreases, right? So there's, there tends to be this kind of limit, right? We don't have uh, companies of like super enormous or, you know, much more enormous size. And then the other thing is we have things like antitrust law and, and some government regulations that say, okay, we actually have to make sure that no company, you know, totally dominates a market. Now, with what you're saying, if what, that's true, right, that actually there are network effects around the DAO and the, it, the efficiency increases as it grows, I mean, what's the ultimate outcome here? Is that, does this mean that there would be, if, if it turns out like that, and let's say DeFi ends up being, you know, finance ends up just being eaten by decentralized finance, and then you have this DeFi DAO that, you know, completely consumes DeFi, like, what is the ultimate outcome here? Right. So I want to cl clarify something. I mean, the problem, so yes, one problem of companies is that they cannot grow above a million people, let's say. Um, but the, the problem is harder. The problem is that not only they, I mean, even in million, even in 100,000, they are not, not, not effective and they are not effective because the interest, the incentives are not aligned. 
So the incentive of the owner of the company or the, you know, other influencers of the company, whether it's the owner or, I don't know, the, the, the biggest stakeholder or the CEO or the board of directors, the in, their incentive and the incentive of the stakeholders and the incentive of the em, employees and the incentive of the clients, all of these incentives are not well aligned. And, and that's why it's not effective. And it's not effective. I mean, you can look at it from a, from a, from effectivity point of view. It's just not effective. Like, it can be more effective. But you can also look at from it from, you know, more social point of view. It's not. But then you know, I don't want to get too much of subjective, you know, terms like just. But it doesn't serve the incentive of of most of the people that are involved in that organization. That's the point. And and if a DAO can. Uh, maintain effectivity at scale, it also means that by definition that it can maintain the, the alignment of interest at scale. And if that, um, I mean, all of the trust laws and regulation that you need to have in order not to have one company controlling the market is because that that company is controlled by a single person or maybe a few persons. Some, some, some of these huge companies actually con controlled by a single person. And then it leads to a such a distort of, of alignment of interest uh, of one to billion, uh, literally one to billion, and and here we have if if we are right in our you know in our wild guess, then then basically that 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 body can take over the market, but in a way that maintains the line of interest of all of those billion people involved. Um, so you don't need to worry about the trust laws. You basically get what you get at the end. You simply get, and that's all what DAO's about. You simply get a very well effective and in a, in a way fair, but fair, fair is built into effective um, coordination between uh, 1 billion agents around shared interest. But um, like, you know, in modern, in most companies today, like, you know, don't employees also have like aligned interests? Usually they have stuff like options agreements and whatnot, or, and even like, you know, something that things that aren't even traditional companies, like, I, you know, there was some news last year about like Uber and Airbnb trying to distribute uh, equity to like what are currently their contractors. So, um, you know, could we, couldn't we, don't we all already see this shift towards like, uh, sh like especially in the nineties, what, you know, what, the big thing that happened in the nineties was like executives started getting paid prim compensated primarily in equity rather than salary. And so we already, do we not already see sort of this shift towards, uh, incentive alignment, even in, uh, traditional companies or, you know, 21st century companies like Uber and Airbnb. Uh, absolutely. I mean, uh, absolutely. I mean, it's just actually strengthening our claim. This transition from centralization to decentralization, this transition from a huge distortion of interest, alignment of interest into more equitable uh, or, I don't know, balance or whatatever you call it, uh, alignment of interest, is, 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 evolution, is, is absolutely an evolutionary transition. It's the, it's the Darwinistic evolutionary transition. And we see that transition happening for decades. Um, and the only thing is that each time a new technology is coming in, it enables you to set up a, 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 you know, a, a higher level of that coordination and, and incentivization alignment. But we also experience that the human grid, uh, you know, when, wherever there is a way to take over power, uh, you know, so you had like system that kind of like started in, in course of decentralization, but then some, there was some power concentration that could re-centralize them and we've seen that over and over again. And I think, and in that sense, I think the blockchain has really changed the, the rules in the sense that it allows for technology that in a way maybe cannot be captured. Um, 
I mean, of course, we we need to worry a lot about that and make all of the and that's all that's one of those things that can can go go wrong, of course. All of the game theoretic, uh, you know, rules here that the system can won't, won't be able to be captured uh, at some point. It's really no frontier in that sense. Um, another question I have really quickly about the uh, reputation token is, you know, doesn't the non-transferability in in a way maybe uh, limit the potential future decentralization of the system? Because, like, you know, a lot of tokens today are, like, pretty centralized in their distribution. But the idea is that over time, market mechanics will help decentralize them. But if we don't allow reputation to be bought and sold on, like, public markets, how do we expect... What if the initial distribution that comes out next month is like super centralized? Uh, what what is the mechanism for resolving that? Maybe let me. So so first of all, I, I would say if if we if we don't achieve uh, like at least a sufficient level of decentralization, and I would say that kind of our eternal goal is at least one thousand participants, ideally ten thousand participants. Well, the DAO will not be interesting. That's one element. The other element is if it gets like this sufficiently decentralized initial distribution, uh, of course uh, it needs to like have much more uh, reputation uh, holders over time. And there are uh, already ways uh, built in uh, that of course new reputation is issued. So uh, one, one thing that is by default built in into the protocol is anyone can make a proposal uh, towards um, this DAO, anyone. Uh, you don't have to have a uh, reputation. If that uh, proposal is accepted by the DAO, you will gain, uh, you will get some uh, some reputation. And we just like today did the, the math. Um, uh, roughly, I think the numbers we, uh, or we were trying to set those parameters, uh, how, how what, what all those should be. And we roughly kind of said, um, if the um, if if, uh, if if the DAO runs successfully for one year and successfully means like there are constantly proposals, there are constantly uh, like well accepted proposals, uh, then after one year uh, it should distribute another thirty percent uh, or kind of a new thirty percent uh, uh, reputation in, in in this first year to those uh, who who made those um, proposals. So in theory, also, the DAO could, you know, decide to print a bunch of new reputation and then auction that off on DutchX. Correct, correct. I mean, <laughs> well, it, it could do that or, um, I mean, it could it could also just decide to uh, continue, like, incentivizing, uh, like, trading on the DutchX. If it says, okay, there's not enough liquidity, uh, then it would just do the, the Mignolia or whatever, whatever, whatever things is is useful to grow the DAO or to grow the ecosystem it, it will control over time. But, but just, just chime in, I mean, again, we said that, that there is an assumption here. We said that more decentralized is better. So if that is true, then if the DAO will, even if, it, even if this, you know, let's say that the, the first phase of distribution was, you know, just mildly successful and rather than the expected 1,000, you know, reputation holders, we just have 100. But the thing is that if those 100 believe in the agenda of the DAO, if they believe that decentralized is good, they then have the incentive, the interest to keep on distributing reputation. So they can, you know, they can distribute reputation in so many other ways, um, and they just have the incentive to grow and grow that that DAO. Secondly, there is also the mechanism of delegation 
that of course is another way to kind of like, uh, you can have, a, a, it's kind of like a mild form of transferability of reputation uh, that can be retractable or not retractable depending on the condition. So, so yeah, just to say that definitely decentralization of reputation is important and we more so, we are saying that it's evolutionarily advantageous. Uh, and, and thus will happen, and if not in the first DAO, in the second DAO that will make it better. I, I guess before we wrap up, I'm curious, so do you see, you know, if the Dutch of the DX DAO becomes this DeFi DAO, do you also think that in the future maybe something like Gnosis prediction markets would be managed by the DX DAO? Uh, so certainly, yeah. So, so I mean, we, we, we are like... Um, we are not yet going all in on on, on the on the on, on the DXDAO, but if uh, if it would like turn out to be a, a DAO that gives kind of the guarantees, uh, like we we would trust the DAO that it would make reasonable decisions. Then of course, uh, if we have a, a, any smart contract system that that needs or that uh, needs to have some maybe parameter change upgrades uh, we would probably always give that power to to the yeah to the DXDAO because again we we think uh, platforms are more attractive uh, if they are uh, decentralized it's more attractive to build on top of a, a decentralized platform we want to build uh, decentralized platforms and that's all, that that means we have to give away uh, uh, control and we think the DXDAO or something like the DXDAO is the right thing to give it to. I guess I have another question sort of related here. So is there a role of the GNO, the GNO token somewhere here? Yes. So the GNO, uh, well, not, 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 not in the, in the DXDAO. So, or not directly. Yeah. Not, not in the DXDAO. Um, and again, that was important to us that, um, that um, yeah, the, the DXDAO should not be a Gnosis DAO. Um, there is right now uh, uh, a role for GNO in the Dutch X, and that is something super interesting uh, to like watch. Um, so, so right now, I, I, I described this this um, liquidity um, uh, this liquidity contribution uh, mechanism and the Magnolia. So that's one part. So you can like have a lot of Magnolia uh, and that, that gives you again an advantage by paying a little less uh, in, uh, liquidity contribution and effectively gaining fee. And the other thing you can do is you can use OWL and that's, that's kind of, or the, that was always, is always the idea behind Gnosis or GNO that you lock down GNO and you get fee credits and we call them OWL. Pre, like two, two and a half years when I was last on the show, I, it was called Wiz still, but now called OWL, whatever. Um, so right now, in, in, in the DXDAO uses OWL. So you can pay part of this liquidity contribution in OWL. So roughly that means if you have GNO and OWL, you kind of get the slight advantage, similar like you can get the advantage with, with the Magnolia. Um, and it will be super interesting to see uh, what, what the DAO does with that. So in theory, uh, the DAO could fork out um, uh, GNO. Just to say, just to be precise, I mean, not not fork out in the sense of blockchain. Not even, I mean, that we we don't we want that would that wouldn't it wouldn't even to change the whole contract. It can just it has the ownership and an ability to change the logic and basically kick out uh, a GNO. But then we also believe that there is actually advantage of the DAO uh, 
to maintain. Uh, it, maybe and we'll see how it you know how, how it plays out, but maybe the DAO has incentive to be aligned with Ignosis economy. Right. So 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 kind of the the the, the way we we envision it is that there will be those those many um, uh, or the, the, the reputation holders of this DAO will be uh, token holders to 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 a larger extent of of all the different token uh, projects uh, and then they kind of prove that by locking down uh, tokens so ideally the, the dx dao will have like part of the gnosis community a part of the zrx community a part of the whatever uh, um golem i don't know status and and, and many others so uh, ideally the the dao will have um shared interests uh with those groups, and, and and we would see Gnosis as a, as, as a company, um, uh, as like someone interacting with this DAO and, and probably once in a while making proposals to to build stuff uh, for, 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 for that DAO. And uh, ideally, the DAO would see that as valuable <laughs> and therefore not, don't fork, up, fork out, you know, but it's... Uh, it's uh, that is definitely in uh, the risk I, I guess we are taking if you believe in decentralization if you believe in giving up control yeah that's a consequence that uh, you give up control and you risk that you lose control <laughs> cool well thanks so much uh, for coming on guys it was uh, really really interesting to speak about uh, i mean i also remember you know back back in the day we did episodes about the DAO when that was happening and and i i remember that incredible momentum and excitement around that and certainly it's it's so it was so obvious back then even though this was such a primitive attempt of the incredible power that DAOs have so if you know finally we're at the point where this is kind of coming back and maybe with a much different level of maturity that's something incredibly exciting now we're gonna have of course links to a bunch of different stuff but probably some listeners do want to get involved uh, and, you know, participate in the DAO. Do you guys have some uh, maybe final words or pointers or what should people look out for? What's the timeline here? So one final word is uh, this thing is risky. DAOs have unforeseeable consequences. You can lose everything. You, uh, you, you kind of and so on so <laughs> if you do it with that expectation uh, then uh, well one one ad i mean th definitely the the dao stack channels and the gnosis channels are channels where we will get relevant information dxdao.daostack.io i believe um is is will be the website where from starting february 18th um this this uh, this initial distribution period of the of the reputation uh, will start and you can there do the different actions like locking down tokens and so on uh, and get of course all all, all, all the relevant information uh, and this period will then um, this period will go for 30 days um, so for 30 days starting February 18th um, yeah you can do all the actions to be, become part of um, this DAO and then uh, there's like just a two weeks like cooldown or kind of uh, initiation period. And then starting early April, the DAO is live and, and, and develop uh, its own life. And maybe just one, one last comment. Uh, so with Gnosis, we made, um, we obviously, um, yeah, obviously Gnosis and DAO are like, like kicking off. 
uh, this DAO, but it's it's really important to us to to uh, make it clear that this is, this is not a Gnosis DAO. So we already made the the um, the pre-commitment, and we will make this announcement a few times. We will burn all bridges on uh, April, early April. So basically, uh, once this um, once this um, initiation period is over, we will uh, we will basically say Gnosis involvement is over for now. Uh, Gnosis involvement is over. Maybe eventually we will then start again, like in, in interacting with the DAO as as described before. But at that point, we will basically say. Either the thing develops its own life and kind of does something out of its own, or it will die, and we will let it die. We will, we, we won't we won't do anything. So we will we will close our uh, GitHub repository. We will close kind of uh, the 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 communication channels, and we really want to. It it should develop its own like ways. Where where does it communicate? How do people uh, coordinate? Uh, we think really. I mean, we saw like projects like like uh, like. Well, obviously, Bitcoin. That it helps. Uh, that at some point uh, the creator uh, steps back and 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 allows the thing to become uh, to be not limited by the creator, basically. Yeah, maybe to add. Um, so, I mean, of course, as, as Marty says, like DAO stack and Gnosis channels are are open, and although it is. Like I said, we're we're you know burning us all bridges and 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 DAO stack analysis will not you know will not drive we'll just be linked to technology but will not drive will not drive the DAO once it's alive uh, it has a life of its own but uh, there are some places I mean so firstly there is a, there is a forum that we're setting it up for that and again we're not we don't want to have any ownership of that forum but uh, uh, we're setting up a forum where people can speak so it's it's the DAOTalk.org. I mean, you can already go there, uh, dowtalk.org. And um, right now, well, of course, right now it's not live, so there's no no discussion, but we, you know, people can decide on their own to have a discussion there. Secondly, you know, we, we're building the whole stack. So in that sense, you know, we build the contracts and the protocols and, and you know, and more layers of technology. But at the end of that stack, there is an interface, um, which is called Alchemy, uh, which is right now under the domain uh, alchemy.daostack.io. So that's an interface that could be uh, you, through which you can operate uh, or participate in, in the DAO. Uh, but again, we have no wish to have a control on that interface. And in that sense, uh, there's, there's already a bunch of other alternative interfaces by independent uh, actors that are being built up to also serve as gateways to the DAO. But anyway, you can, you can, you can find, you can participate in that DAO through that interface. Uh, and of course, uh, participate in the reputation bootstrap period uh, to get reputation. Yeah, I, I would mention uh, that that is. I, I would recommend everyone looking at um, the the um, Genesis DAO. So, so that 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 is the DAO stack uh, or a DAO that's running uh, right now, and you can. It, it's kind of much more limited, I guess, in in in, in scope and. But it, it's super interesting to see, uh, like, it, it currently has like 120 people, Matan, maybe. Yeah. Um, and it, it's super interesting already to see or to, to feel like it, it's developing its own life, it's, it's developing its own rules, it's developing its own uh, value set. And you can there, yeah, it's a simpler and earlier version of the protocol, but you already can get a sense uh, 
how the DXDAO then might look like. Right. So if, if you go right now to alchemy.dao.io, you indeed will find the Genesis DAO. Right now there is only one DAO there, it's Genesis DAO. Uh, it operates in the, under the alpha version of the stack and the interface and the protocol and everything. It's clunky. It is slow. It is you know it has a bad UX. It's you know everything that you you wouldn't like from a product. And yet uh, you know we just launched it completely anonymous, like completely quietly with fifty people, and now it just grow to one hundred and twenty five. Um, it and produced, it's constantly making actually stuff. Yeah, so it produced it produced two hundred proposals, out of which I think sixty something has passed. Uh, out of those 60 something proposals, there were documents, few interfaces, modules, browsers, uh, three meetups, um, like things that we haven't, you know, a suggestion proposal that we haven't thought about. And we know we could not, we can definitely not. I, I guess it's it's surprisingly an, an effective way. We, we kind of like fueled, we funded that DAO. This was kind of experiment. And I think it was a super effective way to uh, to get a return on that on that fund. Um, so this is just a sandbox, it's a prototype. And very soon in this Q1, bef before even the, 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 the DXDAO launches, um, we will launch the, the, the system in beta. It will be a completely different world, different application, uh, much, you know, much more slicker, fast, designed, um, many more features and so on and so forth. So, but yeah, so we are, we are, we are waiting for the beta. Cool. Well, Martin and Matan, thanks so much for coming on. I'm really excited to see how this all turns out. Sounds like an amazing experiment. And yeah, I'll be following it closely. So thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode. We release new episodes every week. You can find and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have a Google Home or Alexa device, you can tell it to listen to the latest episode of the Epicenter podcast. Go to epicenter.tv slash subscribe for a full list of places where you can watch and listen. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for the newsletter so you get new episodes in your inbox as they're released. If you want to interact with us, the guests, or other podcast listeners, you can follow us on Twitter. And please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps people find the show, and we're always happy to read them. So thanks so much, and we look forward to being back next week. <laughs>